Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty's Social Impact Pioneers podcast series. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. These interviews with social impact pioneers provide you with insights, different perspectives, advice, and maybe a little inspiration, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are tackling some of the world's biggest social challenges so that you can learn from those who have been there before, helping you in your decision-making and action-taking. You are in for a real treat today. My guest is a social impact pioneer. She says by accident, meet Donna Rosa. Donna is a lady of multi-careers, solving for the biggest problems, leaning into them, bringing her skills and expertise as a scientist, technologist, business leader and coach. Donna started her career working in food technology with a degree in food and nutritional science, labouring in the labs of big brands. How she has become an award-winning international development expert and entrepreneur coach is because of her problem solving. Name some of the big problems. Food safety, food longevity economic growth in emerging markets, micro-entrepreneur scale and success rates. Donna doesn't just look at these problems. No, no, she is rolling up her sleeves, she's developing practical solutions, and then she leans in to make them happen. Expect a treasure trove of insights into food processing, what this means in emerging markets, practical tips on getting a business thriving, and ways that you can help micro-entrepreneurs if you work in bigger organisations. Donna, I'm delighted to have you here today. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having Katie me. I'm just thrilled to be here. Oh, it's great to have you join. And and I really wanted to start our conversation today. You are the Chief Entrepreneurship Officer for E4 Enterprises. Can you share with us a bit about the organization and your role? E4 stands for Empowering Entrepreneurs in Emerging Economies. Those are the four E's in there. And we provide remote business coaching for entrepreneurs specifically in developing countries. So it's a very specific niche. And my clients are organizations and programs that support small businesses. And so I don't market myself to the entrepreneurs themselves. It's the organizations that would hire me to work with a group of entrepreneurs. And so we offer coaching for groups, little small groups, usually uh, five or less. And we also have individual one-on-one programs, as well as online tools that are used either with or without our coaching for different levels of entrepreneurs. So for example, we have a business plan template online that is geared specifically for the needs of a developing country entrepreneur. It's a very simple template with questions and answers that they they can follow. So it makes a business plan less intimidating. We have cash flow software. We have a more sophisticated financial software as well. We find, or I have found over the years, that entrepreneurs in developing countries fall on a continuum. And so there's the small business that maybe a woman who's sewing or cooking something all the way up to, let's say, an entrepreneur, a high-tech entrepreneur, an MBA that has the next, you know, hottest digital thing going and, and everything in between. So you really need to have 
a range of options for these the entrepreneurs. I tend to work on the lower end of that spectrum, the micro enterprises, the people that don't have a lot of business background. I enjoy working with them uh, very much. So that's pretty much what we do. Now, this is the main question, though, because you set out looking at, and indeed you are a leading food technologist. How have you gone from being a food technologist to helping enterprises in emerging markets? And can you share a bit about that journey that you've been on and, and what led you to E4 Enterprises? Yeah, that's a question that not many people even ask me, but it is a strange route that I took. I took the scenic route, if you will. But actually, my most of my experience is in the corporate world, not in international development. I started off with a degree in nutrition and food science, got a job in the lab, uh, decided that I that marketing was calling all the shots. <laughs> so I, I went and got an MBA and then eventually transitioned to the business side of the food processing industry. This was in the United States. And eventually I got into, into marketing and, and, and business unit management uh, for suppliers, food ingredient suppliers. I was then sent to, uh, with one of, one, one of my companies to work in Switzerland for a few years. And so I went from sort of a technical role to a business role in the food industry. And then after I went to Switzerland, my company had a merger and they closed the office that I was working in when I was in the States. So I had nothing to go back to. So I was kind of like laid off on a different continent. But it got me thinking about, you know, what I really did want to do. And it took me years to figure out what that was. Of all the things I could have done, I knew one thing I didn't want to do, and that was what I had been doing. So eventually, I discovered international development, and I thought, well, how could I transfer my skills? And I realized that I had accumulated a lot of business experience over the years, and I could either die with it in my head, or I could share it with those who most need it. And that's how I landed on working with developing country entrepreneurs. And there is a huge need for these services. And it's, you know, it's something that I, I really enjoy. And then while I was doing field work with USAID and with other organizations, I noticed that this is something that I could do remotely. So I had the idea in 2015 to do what I do remotely. And tested the concept over, you know, 18 months or so. I was told it was never going to work, but I went ahead with it anyway. And I finished up at the end of 2019 and launched E4 in January of 2020. And of course, then COVID hit. And I thought, what timing? Everybody has to go remote now. But what happened in the beginning was everything shut, completely shut down, of course. And so nobody was doing anything remote or or otherwise. But eventually, once the organization started to come back online, everything was still remote. But I didn't have to go there, you know, or go down that route explaining about how, you know, remote works and and so forth. Everybody knew how to do it because they had to do it. So people understood it. And I was able to take out all of that overhead of sending me to, to a remote rural area and, you know, get rid of all the travel expenses and the per diems and the, the hotels and the, 
supplies and so forth and just work with the entrepreneurs. And it also allowed me to work with entrepreneurs over time versus sending me in for a few weeks of training and then I leave and then I never hear anything again. So when you do remotely, you can do it once a week over months or weeks or or whatever and get more involved in the businesses. And it's more convenient for everybody involved. For the organization can join the sessions. It's more convenient for the entrepreneurs who have very little time to spend on this. And then for me, I don't, you know, I don't have to travel. So it it worked out well all around. And that's how I went from working in a lab to uh, E4. Donna, if you didn't already have enough reasons, working remotely was actually such a great opportunity, a whole nother level you've just opened up. But also what a journey that you've been on. And um, Donna, I want to turn now, you have recently received the Humanitarian Award for Service to the Science of Food in honour of, of Elizabeth Fleming Stye. So can you tell us a bit about the award, what you got it for, and, and what does it mean to you? Yeah, so this is an award that is uh, given from the Institute of Food Technologists. This is getting back to my roots here. It's called IFT. And it's a professional member organization for food technologists, and it recognizes contributions to humanitarian work in food, which is very unusual. Most of the members of that organization are large and small food food processors and food companies and those associated with it. And that came about because one result of my field work, when I was out in the field uh, doing things, I, I noticed that the organizations I was working for were, they were emphasizing and doing a lot of work in nutrition and in agriculture, which of course we need. And this is the history. This goes back 50 something years. That's been the focus of, you know, food security for donor organizations. But because uh, of my background, what I noticed was no one was utilizing food science or food processing in terms of alleviating food insecurity. And I knew what it could do, but it wasn't being utilized. And I don't know whether it was just out of ignorance or just not knowing or not being aware, but I, you know, I saw food going to waste and I saw, you know, food safety issues. And these are issues that food processing can help with, you know, it can help extend the shelf life of food and that reduces food waste and it also makes food available in what's called hungry seasons or lean seasons this is the the time time period before the next harvest where there isn't a lot of food you know when you're dealing with fresh food that's you can't refrigerate people go hungry during this time but if you can put it into a form that's shelf stable you can preserve the food and food safety is another issue that's that's a food science issue. And organizations are starting to pay more attention to it, but they focus on food safety in food markets, for example, but not in terms of small food processors and how they need to handle the food to keep it safe. And finally, food processing contributes to value addition. So you can add value to the food. It's something that consumers want everywhere. The manufacturer can make more money versus versus commodities. And everybody wins. Now, I should probably qualify this by saying when I talk about food processing, I am not talking about lab-grown meat or frozen pizzas or anything of of the sort. 
I'm talking about milling. I'm talking about drying. I'm talking about basic canning, making juices out of fruit. That very basic food processing, that's enough to preserve the food, not, you know, uh, junk food or anything like that. So I noticed that there there was not a lot of awareness in either the food processing industry or the international development industry. So I started a program in 2019 with IFT called Food Science for Relief and Development. And that was done to create awareness of what food science can do in this area. And so we've got, this program has been going on for a few years. It's all volunteer. We have people writing up real world case studies of of examples of where food science has contributed to, to food security. And so it's still going strong. And so we're still trying to create awareness more in the donor community. And that's been more of a challenge. But now people are a little bit more a little bit more aware of it. So that's what my work has been in the food science area. Well, if this conversation helps raise that awareness a little bit more, anybody who works in this space, Donna's your lady, go and have a look. I'll put the link uh, to the Food Science for Relief and Development into the words that sit alongside the podcast. So you can go and have a look and do get in touch. Donna, you've had five lives. I mean, each of those is a career unto itself and, and you're stitching all of this together. With that wisdom, with that insight, you know, such a unique journey. What are the trends that you're seeing in your work across that spectrum that you're doing now that perhaps others aren't aren't aware of? Yeah. So, of course, what I have my eye on always is business skills development for entrepreneurs in developing countries and the utilization of food processing. So those two things. And one trend that I'm seeing is that I'm seeing more attention paid to those two areas, but we're still far from where we need to be and it's still not enough. So we need to continue to raise awareness. The organizations, the donor organizations and such, they're not really aware of of food processing and they're not really aware of the need for business skills development, which is very obvious to anyone who has ever worked in a business. But these skills need to be taught, particularly to the entrepreneurs in the, in the beginning levels at the micro enterprise levels. They're not born knowing this. They start a business out of necessity. And so someone needs, needs to teach them how to manage a business, but they need to learn it in the context of their own businesses. And usually training is not enough. If you just do marketing training or financial training, it's hard for them to go back and apply it to their business. And what coaching does is we work on their business and I teach them how to manage their finances with their own situations. So I would like to to see more happening in, in that area, but it's starting to come around. And leaning into that kind of coaching piece, I mean, what are the top tips? What are the the lessons that you're keenly trying to communicate or work with those entrepreneurs on? Yeah. The first thing that I always do is to make sure that their financials are in order and usually they're not. So we work on trying to get them to profitability. And in most cases, they're not properly keeping track of their financials, what's coming in and what's going out, just basic, basic cash flow. And so when we get that right, a lot of times they're surprised to learn that they're not making money because they don't know what's coming in and going out. So it's really important to first look at their financial situation 
and then teach them how to keep track of it on a daily and monthly basis so that they know where they're at every month, where they're, they're going to have months where their, their cash flow may be in jeopardy and, and so forth. So once we do that, then it's getting them to profitability. So what do we need to change about it to, to maximize their profitability? What do we need to change about their business model or their, the way they're doing business? Or do they need more customers or do, you know, what's needed? And every case is a different story, which is really the part that I find interesting because every business is so different and the skills of each entrepreneur are so different. So financials are number one. Secondly, is in the marketing area. For any entrepreneur, I would say get to know your market and your customer really well. Developing country entrepreneurs are not familiar in general, uh, particularly at the at the more basic level with the with the term target market. They have a hard time getting their brains around that. And when I ask them who their target market is, they say, "And who do you sell to?" They say. Well, everybody, and I always say everybody is not your target market. I don't care who you are. So, um, you know, I try to teach them to zero in on a portion of the market that would be, you know, the people who are really interested in their product or service. So the whole concept of marketing and marketing properly and understanding their, their customer is the second tip that I would give. And the third tip related to that that area is to differentiate their products and services in order to stand out. A lot of times they will see something successful in the marketplace where they are and just copy it. And I help them find a way to give people a reason to buy from them and not just be like everybody else. Because if you're like everybody else, you're in commodity land and People will buy from you, but they'll just as easily switch to something else. And they figure, you know, their their reasoning is that, well, if this is in demand, then everybody wants it. So I'm just going to do that because I know people want it. But there's a way to differentiate it. And like I said, every business is different. So what's different about your business? Do you give better service? Do you give something that's not available elsewhere? You know, what differentiates your uh, your product or service. And so that's another thing that's usually new to them that I I emphasize a lot. So those three things, financials, no marketing customer, and differentiation. I've been taking lots of notes, Donna. I, I, I for one, am learning a huge amount. <laughs> so um, uh, thank you for those uh, behind the curtains, sneaky peek, super useful. Everybody listening, normally we have to pay mm. loads of money, Donna. So thank you, Donna. Clearly, you also have had, you know, the, the unique opportunity to sit across both the small organizations, the micro entrepreneurs working, supporting them really closely, but also the bigger organizations, you know, working within them and for them. For those who might be listening to this conversation, who do sit within a bigger organization, what would be, what would you say to them? Well, thank you for this question, because I feel like there is a huge brain trust of business and technical expertise in these large corporations that goes untapped, that can be tapped to help entrepreneurs in developing countries. Because these people have business skills and they also have technical skills in certain areas. And while I certainly appreciate the corporate efforts that go on to address social issues like gender issues and climate change and things like this, we need that for sure. But I feel like it's entrepreneurship that develops economies. 
That's how countries get developed. It's small businesses. And these people don't know how to run a business. And there are lots of people in corporates that corporations that know exactly how to run a business. So I'd like to see more attention and call to them to pay more attention to that. Uh, For example, you could have a corporate remote volunteer program. It doesn't cost anything or it costs very little to do that. Utilizing your entrepreneurs. Or you could fund entrepreneurship programs. There's lots of them out there that would just love a little funding to get some coaching to these entrepreneurs. It makes such a huge difference and it takes so little to get them to profitability, to make enough money where they can pay their school fees and feed their families. And that's all they want. So you can make a huge difference with just sharing the knowledge in these corporations. You know, you'll see a quick return in terms of poverty reduction and changing lives. The only challenge is to bring it down, the concepts down to a very, very basic level. And that's what what I help with, you know, make the the cash flow very simple to understand. But I know this is something corporates can do very easily. And I would call on them to focus more on actually helping these entrepreneurs. It's something they can easily do. I can hear people as they're listening to this, like cheering at this you're cool, um, Donna. It's really, really important to hear it. So yeah. well articulated, I think, because you, you sort of lean into entrepreneurship programs and you see lots of them going on and, and every now and again, you forget why they're important and also the the wider benefit that they could have. So thank you so much for sharing that. Donna, I personally could l- listen to you and learn from you for days. I would really like to, actually. I'd really like to invite you back and to share mm. more and to learn more with you and some of the learnings from those entrepreneurs that you're working with. But I wanted to close this conversation just now with what's next for you. Yeah, so I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I want to continue to raise awareness uh, of the need for more focus on teaching entrepreneurs in developing countries how to manage their businesses so that they can be successful. There's a huge need for this. And I would just sort of end by saying that, you know, there continues to be a big need for this. And you can provide technical support and access to finance. And this is what's traditionally been the types of support needed. But if they don't know how to manage their businesses, the organization is wasting their time and money. And the entrepreneurs aren't getting anything out of it. So you know, I can certainly provide case studies and and of of my work to show how, it, you know, what a big difference it can make in just showing entrepreneurs, you know, how to how to manage the businesses and and the the ahas that happen after that. So I'm gonna just gonna keep doing what I'm doing. I still have a lot of work to do to raise awareness, and um, I hope this reaches um, a good audience with with your audience and reaches a lot of corporations. Oh, just one person, just that one listener, dear listener. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't presume to have more people than that listening. But Donna, a massive thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today and also that call to action uh, for all of us, wherever we're sitting. Um, so Donna, thank you so much and all the very best of luck with your amazing work as well. It's truly incredible. Yeah, thank you so much uh, for having me again. And uh, anyone can reach out to me via my website or LinkedIn. If someone wants to set up a program, I'm happy to help help the corporations. So feel free to reach out. Donna, you're amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you.
And if you like what you've heard today, please do rate and subscribe to us. I would also love to hear your feedback. So please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. Many thanks. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. 